I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, as I've said over the past few weeks, one of the most memorable Bible characters for me growing up was Samson. I loved He-Man as a kid. Also loved the uh, old uh, reruns of The Incredible Hulk on TV, one of my favorite TV shows. And as a child, hearing stories about Samson, I I, I thought Samson was the the closest thing to those guys in in the Bible. I always thought of him like uh, like I did those comic book and cartoon characters. To me, he was someone heroic, a biblical superhero of sorts. It was not until I later really studied the story of Samson, the tragic story in this dark period in God's people's history that I came to realize that while Samson was gifted by God to do incredible things, he was also incredibly weak spiritually. While spiritually gifted, he was spiritually fruitless. And we are going to learn that those two things, spiritual gifts and spiritual fruits, are different. They're different. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 15. Judges 15. For the past few weeks... We have been discussing Samson's story. I shared with you last week that for years, Samson's story confused me. How could a guy who is chosen by God, miraculously conceived, set apart for a special purpose, and gifted in so many incredible ways be so crooked and broken? How could that happen? When you look closely at Samson's life, it doesn't seem as if he's aware of God most of the time in his life. He references him a couple of times, but it's for self-serving purposes. He seems completely ignorant of his special calling and mission. He failed to see himself as God's people's God-given deliverer for most of his life, which explains why he does most of what he does in this narrative. While he is chosen by God, gifted with incredible strength, uniquely gifted by God to be his people's deliverer, he is reckless, unteachable, disobedient, deceitful, enticeable, and volatile. We looked at that last week. We also learn from Samson's story that in God's people's darkest hour, through this through this tragically flawed Savior, we see God is faithful. That's the message. 
God is faithful through the flawed, through the faithless, accomplishing what he promised. That's really the point of the Samson narrative. That's how we're to approach his story, I believe, from Scripture. God works through the faithful and the faithless, the righteous and the wicked, to accomplish His kingdom purposes. If you don't understand that, a lot of the stories of Scripture won't make much sense to you. We see Him work in this way in our story today. Judges 15. This morning we will examine, again, the weaknesses of Samson and how God will empower him and work in and through him to begin to deliver his people, and punish the Philistines for their wickedness. First we see this. God works through Samson's pride to punish the Philistines financially. God works through Samson's pride to punish the Philistines financially. Look with me at verses 1 through 3 of Judges 15. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to him, this time, Samson said to them, speaking of the Philistines, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. This chapter begins with after some days, meaning after the period of the, uh, the events in the previous chapter, after Samson killed 30 Philistines, left his wife, returned home, after his father-in-law gave his daughter to another, Samson returned to the house of his father-in-law. Samson returns for his wife after some time. And his father-in-law basically tells Samson, I thought you hated her for, for working with the Philistines, which cost you greatly, so I've given her to another. And for those of you all who need some details, read the previous chapter, listen to the sermon from last week, okay? That's where we were last week. But while the, the, the father knew there was no changing things. He had already thought, he thought Samson was gone for good. He gave his daughter to, to another man. He did offer Samson, his younger daughter, who was even more beautiful, we're told. He, he thought for sure that would appease a shallow, impulsive, and vain man like Samson. What he failed to realize was Samson's greatest struggle was his pride. He was so angry with the Philistines for what they had done and how they had deceived him, deceiving them, and how they had cost him his marriage that he felt he was justified in doing them harm. Look at verse 4. So Samson went and caught, very interesting story, 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he set when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. 
And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Rough, rough stories here, right? In Judges, we've seen that. Samson, because he was a prideful and vengeful man, he strikes these Philistines where it hurts. He does something only a man empowered by the Spirit of God could do. He rounded up 300 foxes and tied them together by their tails and put torches in between the tails, tied them together, lit those torches, and sent them running through the land of his enemies to set fire to their crops, destroying their grain and their vineyards, their olive groves. He hit them where it hurt, economically, right? God often punishes His people financially. That's a a way in which He works His judgment. Their, their, Their financial state, their economic state of this nation, it was a source of pride for the Philistines. And so God punishes them in this way. He is using his flawed and broken Savior to punish the godless Philistines, and he shows them he is the one true and living God of all who gives and takes away, as we've been singing, right? Notice they respond by killing the Timnite family, Samson's wife and his father-in-law. The Philistines burn them alive. That shows you the type of people they are. Wicked people. And then Samson retaliates back. This is just a mess, isn't it? But notice what Samson does, verse 7. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I'll be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. The phrase... Struck them hip and thigh as a wrestling metaphor used to describe a ferocious attack. Samson retaliated with brute force. While God is is not to blame for the wickedness between these two parties, and there's plenty of wickedness to go around, we see him here work in and through these actions, the actions of Samson and the Philistines here, to bring about this separation between his people and their enemies. Remember what God said to Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife? He said, this child will begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And that's what God is doing here. God is at work through people, both good and bad, more bad than good in this story, right? In situations both righteous and wicked, more wicked than righteous in this situation to accomplish His purposes. This is what we call God's providence. The providence of God teaches that God is at work, and we see it in Scripture, we see it in our lives. God is at work in the details of this life, in and through people and circumstances and situations to accomplish His will. And at times, His providence can be confusing to us. Why is He allowing this thing, but not this thing, right? But listen, there is a sweet comfort here in knowing no matter what happens, get this, God's hands are never tied. Never. People often want to know, why do do you allow this, God, and not that? It should comfort you that God is at work regardless. 
think about the messy circumstances here in Judges 14 and 15. God works in and through Samson's deceit, the Philistines' deceit, Samson's wife's betrayal, Samson's act of economic terrorism, the Philistines' murder of his wife and father-in-law, and Samson's retaliation with brute force to bring about this division between his judge and his people and the Philistines. Wow! He's working his will, isn't he? What's the application here for us? Very, very simple. When times get tough and your days get dark and you feel your faith is shaken, look to the faithful God of Scripture and place your faith and hope and trust in Him no matter what. He is at work in this way today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Place your faith in God to work through your dark and difficult circumstances to accomplish His purposes. In his great hymn, On the Providence of God, William Cooper writes, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Beautiful hymn. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. We learn here, like we learn all throughout Scripture, that God is in complete control of this world and can be trusted no matter what happens in this life. He works His will through circumstances, good and bad, people both good and evil, to accomplish His purposes. Judge not the Lord, believers, by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Point number two. In addition to God working through Samson's pride to punish the Philistines financially, God also works through his people's deceit and Samson's disobedience to punish the Philistines militarily. First notice, God works through his people's deceit. Look at verses 9 through 13. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he has done as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Samson basically says, why are you coming to me? I just repaid them for what they did to me. Sadly, God's people sided with their wicked enemies. Look at verse 12. 
And they said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me for yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes. Now details are important here. These are two new strong ropes that they bind Samson with. Remember that? And brought him up from the rock. Very interesting. God sent his people a savior, right? In Samson. Samson was given to them by God to be their deliverer. To deliver them from the Philistines in order that they might be restored to God. They should have sided with Samson against the Philistines. Instead, they do the opposite. They side with their enemies against their savior. Does that sound familiar to you? It certainly should. That is exactly what many do with Jesus when God sends him. Many sided with the religious leaders who aligned with the Romans to kill Jesus. Same thing. God sent his son to rescue his people. Instead of forsaking their sin and clinging to God's Savior in faith, they reject God's Savior and arrest him and hand him over to his enemies who send him up Calvary Hill, Calvary's Hill to be crucified. How does God respond in that situation? We know. We have the story, right? The rest of the story works in and through their wickedness to provide salvation for His people through Christ's death and resurrection. He does a similar work here. Instead of siding with God's Savior... Against his enemies, God's people side with their enemies against God's Savior. They say, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? God had sent Samson to deliver them from the Philistines. They reject that option. They reject God's Savior. They bind him and they hand him over to their enemies. Timothy Keller in his commentary on Judges says this. Look at this quote. They may bear the name of God's people, but they would rather live at peace with the world and worship their idols than be freed to worship God. And they would rather cut down their own rescuer than risk confrontation with the world. We witness many do the same thing today. Maybe this is where you are. Maybe you've, you've heard God's message of sin and salvation through Jesus, but you have a greater desire to live for the now and enjoy the idols of this world. Maybe up to this point in your life, you have rejected God's call to turn from your sin and your wicked ways and give your life to Christ because you want to pursue your wants and your needs and your desires. That's how Samson lived. That's how God's people Israel lived. They had a greater desire to be friends with their enemy and with the world than to be at peace with God. If this is you, I pray God work in your heart today and show you that there is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way that the world says is good that leads to death. Pray, God, work in your heart today. Bring you to the end of yourself and to your knees in repentance and to the feet of his son Jesus in faith. Sadly, God's people Israel in the period of the judges, they never got there. 
They rejected God's Savior. They tied him up. They delivered him over to the Philistines. Little did they know by doing that, God would continue his great work of delivering them. Remember when I said earlier, God's hands are never tied? Always remember that, no matter what happens. When you get frustrated by the circumstances in life, remind yourself, God's hands are never tied. God's hands are never tied. We see it here. They hand Samson over to the Philistines, which is the equivalent of dropping a bomb in their camp. God, as he does through Judas's betrayal, he is going to use this act of betrayal to continue his great work of deliverance. Don't you love that? God is in control. He is going to use his people's betrayal and Samson's disobedience to punish the Philistines. Let's look at that detail now, Samson's disobedience. I bet you missed it before. Look at it with me. Verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and the ropes, the new strong ropes that were on his arms, became his flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. That's God at work there. That's a miracle. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Don't pass over that too quickly. Remember I said details are important? It's a fresh jawbone of a donkey put out his hand and took it, and with it struck a thousand men. So God's people, because they, they wanted there to be peace between themselves and the Philistines, they delivered the one causing them so much trouble over to them. Little did they know that God was going to use their deceit, this act of disobedience, and this, this disobedient vessel to bring judgment down upon the Philistines. We are told the Spirit of God came upon Samson and caused the ropes that he had been bound with to melt from his arms. Notice then what Samson does. He takes a fresh jawbone of a donkey and uses it as a weapon. What vow was Samson under? Y'all remember? The Nazarite vow. Very good. Does anyone know what one of those rules was? For the Nazarite vow, we've already talked about it, I believe, in here, right? One of, one of the rules in that vow was that they were not to come in contact with anything dead, like a dead carcass, like a fresh jawbone, right? It says not to do it. Samson does it. Daniel Block, in his commentary on Judges, says this. Look at this quote. The author's observation that the jawbone was fresh is significant. Being fresh, it was still considered part of the corpse, in which case we witness another violation of the Nazarite vow. He's got more coming as well. Samson sins against God again, yet God uses him to deliver his people by killing a thousand Philistines. Is Samson to praise for this? If you ask him, he is. Look at verses 16 and 17. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. Careful, Samson. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth Lehi. Samson takes credit here. God's people are deceitful. God's man, Samson, is disobedient and prideful. All are deserving of God's judgment, yet God responds here with mercy 
and grace. He responds in faithfulness here. He promised to deliver them, and he delivers on that promise, right? Even though they're undeserving. Aren't you thankful for that? Because that's our story. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's our story. God saved us when we were undeserving, restored us, even though we deserve judgment. He showed us grace. Amen? Well, is Samson going to ever get it together? What do you think? Let's keep reading. Notice here, Samson does finally acknowledge God and his great need for him, but only when he's in a bad way and only when it benefits Samson. Look at verse 18. And he was very thirsty. Now, I don't know what it's like to kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, but I imagine you'd be thirsty after, so that's a no-brainer there. And he called upon the Lord. And said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Not really a humble address of God from his servant, but it is an address. The first we have from Samson in this way. Notice he acknowledges the fact that God has given his people salvation through him. He now sees it. He refers to himself as a servant of the Lord, but then he questions God. He, he asked, are you now going to allow me to fall into the hands of the wicked, uncircumcised Philistines? Sort of sounds like his father Manoah, remember? They had promised Manoah and his wife that they were going to have a son who was going to be a deliverer of God's people. And, and when, when uh, they're, they're, the presence of God departs from them, Manoah says, is God going to now kill us? You know, he had already promised a child, but he, he questions God's word and questions his faithfulness. Samson's doing that here as well. He is to be his people's deliverer. But he's, he's questioning whether or not he's going to die and fall into the hands of the Philistines. Let's face it, he sure did deserve that. God's the only one deserving of praise here. Samson deserved judgment for his wickedness, but God spares him. He does so miraculously. Samson deserved judgment for his wickedness. Instead, he is used by God as an instrument of his salvation. He deserved to die for his disobedience. Instead, he was spared and allowed to remain in leadership for 20 years. Let's keep reading verse 19. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En-Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So God miraculously saves Samson once again. He provides for him in a similar way that he provided for his people when they're in the wilderness, right? He provided them water from the rock. Here, he split open a hollow place and water came out from it. Well, do you think now that he has experienced this abundance of the grace of God, do you think this is going to change Samson? Well, we'll look at this more next week. But let me give you a little hint. Look over at 
Judges 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. What is wrong with Samson? What, what do we make of him? He has clearly been gifted by God, right? Yet he is incredibly weak spiritually. What, what do we make of him? Listen, this is very important for you to realize. You know there is a difference between being spiritually gifted by God and spiritually fruitful for God. We often mistake gifts for fruit. Samson has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. No doubt about that. Killing a thousand men, a thousand Philistines with a fresh jawbone, that's no ordinary task, right? We're told the Spirit rushed upon him to do this. But while he has been clearly empowered by the Spirit, he shows no patience, no humility, no self-control. While he is spiritually gifted, he is spiritually fruitless. We should not mistake gifts for fruit. The Bible makes this distinction. Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. He talks about the spiritual fruit in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23. They're two different things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that it is possible for one to have the gift of teaching and leadership and lack the fruit of love. He makes the point that if you possess all the gifts but are lacking when it comes to fruit, you got nothing. While we should possess the gifts and exercise those gifts for the benefit of others, for the edification of others, for the building up of the body, as Paul says, we must also possess the fruits and show the fruits of love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. If not, we got nothing. We got nothing. You're a gifted communicator. Possess great insights into what God's Word says. And, and you know the correct leadership decisions to make in and around every corner. But you do not possess love. Joy and peace and patience. You got nothing. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 13. Times in Scripture and in ministry today, we come across these men and women like Samson who have great gifts but are very weak when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit. They lack love. They lack patience, peace, joy, self-control. And, and we're surprised when, when those who are so gifted fall so hard spiritually. You ever been there? Seen it this past week. We are shocked when we witness people who are gifted teachers, counselors, and leaders have moral issues privately and easily fall into temptation. The reason this surprises us is because we often mistake gifts for fruit. And we naively think that the more gifted one is, the more spiritually mature he or she must be. Can't do this. Timothy Keller says this in his commentary on Judges. We must not mistake the operation of gifts 
for the growth of fruit. The fruit is the proof of spiritual growth. You'll notice in your bulletin that you received today, you have a study guide, a sermon-based study guide that goes Monday through Friday. Please utilize that, okay? You've heard the message. You've taken notes, hopefully. Now you can go and study the text throughout the week. Our truth for the week says this, good fruit is the proof of spiritual growth. That's biblical. Good fruit is the proof of spiritual growth. Maybe you're listening this morning and God has gifted you in many ways and for many years you have mistaken your giftedness for spiritual maturity. You think to yourself, look at how much I know about the Bible. Look at how I can use the Word of God to enrich the lives of others. Surely God is pleased with me. Do me a favor, take time this week to examine your life, not only by the gifts of the Spirit, but also by the fruits of the Spirit. Do not simply examine yourself by how well you can explain a text of Scripture, but by how well you're applying that text personally to your own life. Don't just examine your spiritual life by how well you can counsel others by the word, but how well you can receive counsel and correction in your own life. Don't just examine your life by how well you can explain the practice of prayer and the theologically correct way to pray, but based upon whether you pray, not as a last resort, but as a first option. Are you a doer of the Word? Do you spend time regularly in God's Word and in prayer? And is your time with God proving to be fruitful in your life? Great questions to ask yourself this week. Check out the study guide. They're in there. Okay. While Samson was a spiritually gifted Savior, he was a spiritually fruitless man. Praise be to God that He would eventually send us one who is both gifted and fruitful. He would send us one who knew the Word and applied the Word. One who revealed the will of the Father and submitted to it. One who taught on the importance of time spent with God and explained how we are to approach God in prayer and also lived his life in step with him every, every step of the way and prayed without ceasing. Of course, I'm talking about God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior. The Father sent his Son to teach us what a life lived for God should be. But he also sent him to model that for us. And he lived that life in our place. He succeeded. Christ succeeded where we failed so that we, through faith in him, could have his righteous life in exchange for our sinful one through faith in him. God also sent us his Holy Spirit to apply the work of Christ to our hearts and lives so that we could be made new and so that we could possess the divine power needed to display those fruits of the Spirit. Have you turned from your sin? Are you trusting in God's Son Jesus alone for your salvation? If not, I invite you to today forsake your sin, 
Turn from your lost and wicked way and turn to Jesus. Bow the knee to him. Give your life up and over to him today. Trust in Christ alone for your salvation today and be saved. Let's pray together.